0: Hi, I'm Michael Barr.
1: And I'm Scott Soschnick. On this edition of Bloomberg Business of Sports, we explore the big
0: money issues in the world of sports. This week, former college and NBA star Grant Hill joins us, and the topic of the 2017 NBA champions, the Golden State Warriors, came up.
2: They have a chance to be a champion here for the next, I think, five to seven years. That's their window of opportunity. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's pretty scary for the rest of the NBA.
0: We will bring you our interview with Grant Hill in a few minutes, but first, let's pick up on what Grant Hill touched on as we look at the top business of sports stories of the week. The Golden State Warriors are champions again.
1: Yeah, and it's really a business story, Michael, just like a basketball story. It was their second title in three years over the Cavaliers.
0: We spoke with Golden State owner Joe Lacob last month on Bloomberg Business of Sports about how important the business community is in attracting players like NBA Finals MVPs, Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala.
2: I think they recognize this opportunity. Silicon Valley is a rather amazing place, and there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of uh, potential for investing and, and doing good and making money in, in the technology world if you're around here, and it might not be that case somewhere else. So I think he recognizes that. I think it's a reason potentially for someone to want to be here. I also want to be at an organization where they can win i don't, don't let's not sell that short, and we try to sell that opportunity obviously as well.
0: This team is gold because I can't see anybody beating this team in the next few years.
1: Well, things change quickly, who knows, but they're certainly set up right, but they have to keep it together, and that's going to be a challenge. I mean, Lakeup's going to spend the money. The math has been done. Over the next 4 years if Steph reups and KD reups, if you're all in, if they want this team at its core to stay together, you're looking at 1.4 billion dollars in salary
0: to keep this nucleus together. Some will spend it, some won't. This group will. What about the Cavaliers? They, they've they been there three years in a row. They won one out of the three. What do you do with the Cavaliers? You scratch your
1: head and you wonder, did I do this the right way? LeBron never saw this coming. Let's face it. They won last year at the Cavs, so it legitimized everything. It justified his going back, and, and they did it. But if Draymond Green doesn't get suspended... Perhaps you're looking at Golden State winning again. And then if you're LeBron, you're scratching your head. What do I do? I made my move back. I said it's all about Cleveland. I still haven't won. Now I'm stuck. But he did get that title back to Cleveland.
0: You want to make people mad? Who's the best player, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? Are you asking me? I'm going to ask you
1: this. I, I watched Michael courtside. I saw him hit those shots. I saw all of those championships. For me, Michael is as good as it will ever be.
0: Now, here's the devil's advocate coming here. Yes, Michael won all six of the times that he appeared in the title games and won the championship six times. No losses. LeBron James three and five, but he was there eight times. I was there also when
1: LeBron, on a Cleveland team whose second best player might have been Anderson Varejao, oh I remember that one, made the championship. So I was watching courtside as LeBron was, and this is not an insult to his teammates, but he's playing one on five against the San Antonio Spurs or whoever it was. Just the fact that he has been able to single-handedly drag teams to that level. Speaks volumes, and it's why you even asked the question in the first place.
0: Another story we are following this week. Big fight in August. Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. Are we this desperate for entertainment, Michael <laughs> Barr? This is
1: this is what I
0: ask you. Are we this desperate for Is Conor McGregor a boxer? Are you saying this is going to be a lot like the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight? At
1: least I had
0: a boxer against a boxer.
1: This, and there's no kicking. There's no down on the ground wrestling. This is a man who has spent his life perfecting the craft of boxing, going against another guy while a master of promotion. I'll give him that, Conor McGregor, a masterful promoter. Haven't seen one since Don King. But he's just not at the
0: skill level of Floyd Mayweather. I'm just just wondering what, we're going to see. To give you an idea, the Mayweather 2015 fight against Manny Pacquiao, it cost between 90 and $100 to watch on pay-per-view and it drew an estimated 4.4 million viewers. Overall, it generated close to $600 million in revenue. That's according to ESPN. What will this generate?
1: Yeah, I'm guessing this is going to be close. Let's look at the, the major parts. I mean, Obviously, the number one, as we always say, the number one revenue stream is the media. This is going to do $500 million, uh, but let's look at on a global scale. What will the stream cost? How many people will buy this in Asia? I don't know. It could top $500 million, but you throw merch and the betting and the tickets. This is going to be on par with that fight.
0: And our last story, we'll talk about women's pay when it comes to golf, and it's not on par with the men's as the U.S. Open Championship takes place.
1: Well, we've seen this time and time again. It's now on par when we talked about tennis. The question is, do you pay the men and the women the same amount no matter what? Or many times, organizers will say, and we heard this fight from the women's soccer team, from U.S. soccer, that the men generate so much more revenue, that is why they get paid more. Clearly, when we're talking about golf, men's golf generates way more money than women's golf. Not true
0: of tennis. From the money in golf to now a former NBA star and also a star at Duke University. Michael, we're talking about Grand Hill,
1: who is now also one of the owners of the Atlanta Hawks. Why don't we start with the Golden State Warriors just because the series just ended and everybody's talking about Golden State. Let's stick on the basketball side of things. I'm sure you saw where Joe Lacob said way back when last year, like, we do things better than everybody else. Do the Golden State Warriors do things better than everybody else?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was an interesting uh, quote that I did read in the New York Times uh, from Joe Lacob. You know, I think the reality is, look, I know Rick Welts very well, who is the CEO of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, He was in Phoenix when I was there, so I have a very good relationship. Uh, He started off at the league many years ago. Uh, So on the business side, uh, he's an exceptional leader, Uh, And then Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, uh, the leadership on the basketball operations side uh, is is certainly top-notch as well. I know Kerr very well from playing against him. He was my general manager in Phoenix as well. But the bottom line is they have superior talent, and they were able to have tremendous success through the NBA draft. They drafted Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, uh, Harrison Barnes. Um, They also drafted Draymond Green in the second round. So they were able to hit with their draft, uh, draft picks. And they didn't necessarily have high draft picks, but those moves really laid the foundation for that franchise. And then their ability to have player development, to really have these guys who have character, uh, but also worked uh, very hard on their games to improve, to get better, to put themselves in a positions where now the last few years they, uh, they have been contenders and, coincidentally, uh, able to attract a former MVP and one of the top two or three guys in the game in a Kevin Durant. At the end of the day, you're only as good as the players you have, and they have exceptional players who, who have character but aren't characters, if you know what I'm saying.
0: Are they a dynasty? I guess I have to ask that.
2: I, I think they are. I, I really think they are. I think you know, these guys are all young enough. Uh, they're in their mid to late 20s. Uh, They have a tremendous chemistry. I think as good as they've been this year, uh, adding Kevin Durant to the mix, they will only be better next year. Having that year under their belt, it took some time to sort of build that continuity. Uh, If you can keep that core together of Curry, Durant, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson, and then add the right complementary pieces around them, they have a chance to... To be in the finals, (laughs) unfortunately, if you're a fan of another team or happen to be an owner of another team, unfortunately they have a chance to be a champion here for the next, I think, five to seven years. That's their window of opportunity. Uh, And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty scary for the rest of the NBA.
1: Is that good or bad for the NBA from a business perspective, Grant, if realistically fans go into a season thinking only one, maybe two teams can win?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I I think the ratings from a television standpoint were were pretty high. Uh, That was for the the two
1: best, though. That was just for the two best. Leading into that, not so great.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, there were a lot of blowouts. And uh, I'd say maybe 80% of the playoff games leading up to the finals were blowouts. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Um, You know, I I, I think you want to, as a fan, feel like your team has a chance and has an opportunity.
0: We are celebrating the Warriors, but there's the other side of the coin, the Cavaliers. Now, granted, this is the first time ever in the history of the NBA that both teams made it to the finals three years in a row. But if you're a Cavs fan and you looked at the performance – you know, four games to one, and pretty much they were blown out in a lot of games. What can the Cavs do to improve their team?
2: That's a great question. Um, you know, you almost got the sense when you saw LeBron James at the press conference after game five, where he, he gave everything he possibly could give, uh, as did Kyrie Irving, and it just wasn't good enough. And you, you know, you, you, you wonder what can they do? They, they need help. They need another, they need another all-star <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, uh, because they just did not have the firepower to match up with the Golden State Warriors. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting off season. Uh, LeBron James is a free agent. Uh, there've been rumors about him moving. I, I doubt that will happen. Um, but what can Cleveland do? Because they're good enough to still dominate the Eastern Conference, and they're still good enough to get to the NBA Finals. But can they beat a Golden State Warriors team next year if they were to meet four times in a row? And, uh, and I would say no, they're not.
1: Carmelo Anthony calling on line one. <laughs> 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 Carmelo on line one, Grant. <laughs> Does he fit in with LeBron?
2: Well, you know, I think Carmelo, I think the nature of their relationship There's a mutual respect. Uh, I think they've had tremendous success playing together in the USA basketball environment where Carmelo has really thrived. Uh, I think if if Melo was going to take a bit of a back seat to any player in the league, it would be LeBron James. You know, I think he would defer to him. I think he would follow him. I think LeBron is an exceptional leader and I think there's an environment and a culture there that is obviously about winning championships. Uh, and so I know a lot has to happen uh, f- you know, for for, for, for for that to be a reality, uh, but I do think that the, 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 the dynamics of their relationship would, would, would actually make it work.
1: Grant, you're no stranger to sort of what we've seen these days trying to set up great teams. When you were looking at leaving Detroit, you were courted, by the Orlando Magic, you, Tracy McGrady, and Tim Duncan as well. How are things different now as compared to when you guys were trying to form that that three headed monster?
2: You know, it was a little bit of a different time, and we, you know, players today kind of know each other better, uh, you know, have known each other from, from, from the AAU circuit and, and have closer relationships. That wasn't necessarily the case back in 2000. Uh, now, you know, if it were to have happened, and, and certainly if I had stayed healthy, then you're looking at a, even if I didn't stay healthy, you're looking at a super team with T-Mac and, and, and Tim Duncan. Um, but I think it was very bold and aggressive on the Magic's part. And uh, I think it was, it was, you know, sort of the first idea or the first, you know, first time that the thought of going after multiple superstars, um it, it wasn't they weren't successful and in part because you know, I wasn't healthy. I was I couldn't stay healthy and play with with, with Tracy and of course Tim Duncan chose to stay in San Antonio. But I, I think it was the first sort of free agent, um, you know, opportunity for a team to really be aggressive and try to assemble a championship quality team in one summer. Uh, and so of course, we've seen, Uh, We've seen that happen since then. Uh, Miami, you know, you look at Cleveland, you know, LeBron going and linking up with Kyrie, bringing in Kevin Love, Uh, and then of course you look at Durant, And, and and so I think the trend now is that for sure, great players want to play with other great players, and. You know, and that wasn't necessarily the case 25, 30 years ago. And great co hosts.
1: Grant, great co hosts want to work with great co hosts, but I got Michael Barr instead.
2: (laughs) Isn't he the card? And Kristen Ledlow Ledlow has me, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) That's your NBA program for folks who might know. We are chatting with Grant Hill. And Grant, you spent all that time at Duke under Coach K. Your mother, Janet, on the board of Carlisle Group. Your father played football at Yale, was a professional athlete with the Dallas Cowboys. You had a lot of advantages, and it was still hard for you. How difficult must it be now for younger kids trying to make their way in the NBA who perhaps don't have that background?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in some respects, I think, you know, being able to sort of handle money, um, be responsible with, um, you know, with your – newfound fame, if you will, Uh, I I think I had those types of advantages, Uh, you know, but still, I mean, I think it's still hard. I mean, I I think one of the differences is nowadays, these players uh, are almost celebrities as teenagers. When they're 14, 15, 16 years of age, playing on the grassroots circuit, AAU basketball, they are already kind of on the fast track to be in the NBA. You know, I didn't think about the NBA till my end of my junior year. <laughs> when it hit me, it dawned on me, like, like, this time next year, I'll be preparing for the NBA draft. And so as much as we were sort of celebrities in college, I, I, I feel like it's a lot different these days. And, you know, I never thought about the NBA in, in high school. You know, I mean, that wasn't – and I think when I even talked with other players who – maybe didn't have the same background I had or didn't come from the same environment, but we would play at the various tournaments and this, that, and the other. You know, it was about trying to go play in college, trying to get a scholarship, trying to go to college for free. That was the the, the topic of conversation. It wasn't, like, about getting to the league. And so these young players and the exposure they have is just off the charts. And so they kind of are preparing for it and planning for it a lot younger than we were. I mean, even in college, players at Duke now, you know, they're in a bubble. They can't do silly things and be college students and have some some bit of normalcy in this day and age like we had. You know, (laughs) me and my teammates, we did a lot of foolish things. But a lot of you know, a lot of my classmates did too, and that's part Su- of being Such as,
1: a such as.
2: <laughs> oh well, you know, uh, certain things that happen in the locker room stay in the locker room. But I mean, <laughs> we were kids, and you know, and nowadays when I go back to Duke and I, you know, I got a chance to spend time with Harry Giles and Jason Tatum. You know, I, I marvel at their singular focus. You know, they are there to get to the league. These kids, they go practice three times a day. They get up in the morning, go in the gym. They go to practice in the afternoon. And then at night, they're coming back to the gym. You know, we were too busy having fun, you know, chasing after women. You know, going to the park. Like, we were we were kids. We, you know, we weren't thinking. It, it wasn't like this, this laser focus to get to the league.
1: Did your downtime in the NBA afford you the opportunity to learn what you needed to to become an owner?
2: It did help. I mean, you know, look... I'm I'm an owner of the Atlanta Hawks, vice chairman of our board. Uh, It didn't just happen. I mean, I've been looking at doing this for 20 years. And I think the thing that I realized was uh, the access to leaders of industry that my position as a professional athlete afforded me. And I tried to take advantage of that. And so... One thing that, that people don't realize is that when you're in the NBA, there's a tremendous amount of downtime as a player. And I tried to, to take advantage of that. I tried to be productive. Uh, when I would go on the road, uh, I would try to meet people uh, in different industries. I, I would, got to know, you know the Alumni Association at Duke University very well and you know, got to know various distinguished alumni in the various cities that we were in And so meeting for breakfast, meeting for coffee, taking them to dinner, having an opportunity to to not only pick their brains, learning from them, expand my Rolodex. Uh, And so I was always sort of targeting the end game, even when I was young in the midst of my early career. And I think part of that, as you talked of earlier, Scott, the the benefit of of my family, I, I had a father who played. And... I saw firsthand that it ends. <laughs> you know, it ends one day.
1: Grant, I want to end with the leadership of your mother because she told me the story years ago, and I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. She would tell you to stop breaking your toys when you were six or seven years old. And then one Christmas, you opened up a bunch of boxes. Can you tell the world what was in those boxes?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she had... Uh... She had gotten all the toys that I broke through the years, had gotten them <laughs> fixed, and uh, yeah. and gave them to me. <laughs> and at seven, eight years old, I didn't totally understand it, you know, what she was doing. Um, but you know, I, I, I certainly got the message eventually to, to take care of and, and value what I have and appreciate what I have. And you know, my, my you know, as I said earlier, my parents um, have just you know been unbelievable, been my heroes. Um, then my examples uh, have held me accountable my entire life that that exercise hasn't changed now as i'm 44 years old my mom will still put me in check um now i'm not breaking my toys now but uh (laughs) but you know your kids are your kids are breaking
1: their toys
2: (laughs) yes exactly no exactly they were their toys exactly no but i mean you know, she. I, I'm lucky that with, with the, the life that I've had and the success that I've been able to, uh, to experience, that I still have people in my life who are honest with me and ho- who hold me accountable, who tell me when I'm wrong. And, uh, and despite what people may think, I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and I also recognize that not a lot of people in my position have that. They don't have people who are going to be honest and be real with them. And, and so you want to surround yourself with people who are going to not always tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. And I certainly get that from my mom and my dad and from my wife from time to time, too.
1: Yeah, they have, I get it every day from the wife.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always wrong. I don't
1: know where you think people think you're not wrong. Everybody thinks I'm wrong all the time. So.
0: And since this show <laughs> will be heard by my wife, you, you're number one, baby.
1: <laughs> hey, Grant, go. Thanks so much, Grant. We appreciate you taking the time.
0: See, I'm smart enough never, knowing that my wife is listening to this show, (laughs) I will always say she is the boss. You're a smart man, Mr. Barr. But let me tell you, what I took
1: away from Grant is that the kids today, those kids at Duke, have a singular focus on the NBA. That's the goal. And it probably starts... At age, what, you tell me, 12, 13, 14, when you're a good player on that AAU circuit? It's no longer just about the fun and let's see if I can reach a college scholarship. The goal, and we're seeing this with Lavar and Lonzo Ball. This is a plan that is being executed by these folks
0: for a long time. And you and I have been in the same boat. We both have had a chance to talk with Coach K. And you talk about the quality of the man and the focus of what he is all about, which is why it does not surprise me when you get down to that extreme important shot with Christian Leitner and the pass from Grand Hill.
1: Yeah, you wonder if that could happen, though, in the future because now it's one and done. It's not going to be that third- and fourth-year guy who has been in the press of situations, who has learned how to handle, who has really, really lived through the tougher times. Now you're asking an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old to make it happen. All right. Time for a number. I got one for you. 99. And it's not Wayne Gretzky, because I hear 99 and think sports and sports business. I think Wayne Gretzky immediately, but it is somebody else.
0: It is not either on Get Smart. We're talking about Aaron Judge's number 99. His jersey is now the top-selling Major League Baseball jersey since May 1st. It has been like that, and then since this month, the sales have doubled.
1: It's amazing. I mean, this guy has really come out of nowhere. Nobody expected this. The Yankees didn't expect this, which is why they've set up that judges chambers in right field. They're trying <laughs> to get that millennial group that's so hard to to court. Now they want to go and sit there. Yeah, he's, he's actually passed Chris Bryant of the Cubs, a very popular player. The guy has had a two- year rain as the best-selling jersey and then come on say it out loud and say, you know here,
0: co- here comes the judge here comes the judge i'm he sorry john sterling i apologize <laughs> this is bloomberg business of sports on bloomberg radio around the world we are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports i'm michael Barr,
1: and i'm scott soshnick thanks for joining us and please tune in next week when we speak with stan caston ceo of the los angeles dodgers